Luke, we're going to be discussing Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39, and we're going to finish up that chapter today. And so if you would, just turn your Bibles to chapter 5 of, of Luke, and we're going to start in verse 33. And it says this, Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece of a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskin will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that you were able to communicate to people in a way that they are able to understand what you were trying to say. Lord, and as, you, as we study your word today, I pray that you would just open our eyes, open our hearts, and help us to understand how we can grow closer to you in our relationship and how we can say goodbye to the old and hello to the new. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. So this passage that wraps up chapter 5 uh, deals with fasting and, and a few parables on, uh, from Jesus on how to spot the difference between the old covenant and the new one that uh, Jesus was actually bringing in uh, as he was here on this earth. And so we want to take a look at these things kind of separately. First, we're going to talk about the fasting, and then we'll get into the parables that he talks about. So it's, it's no secret that the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees of the day, that they questioned many of the things that Jesus did and the actions that he took and the ways that he operated, as well as his disciples. Um, some examples include, you know, casting out demons, um, healings of all types, various types. Um, claiming to be the Messiah was a big one that they questioned. Forgiving sins was a very large one. And also even choosing a tax collector, a, a sinner, a, an outsider, a traitor as a disciple. These are all things that the Pharisees would question Jesus on and, and actually be bothered by what he was doing. And Jesus was at best a maverick in their eyes. He was a maverick type of personality. And at worst, he was a blasphemer that deserved to be stoned to death. At, at, at worst, he was, he was someone who they should kick out and get rid of in their mind. And it's interesting that in verse 33, they use John the Baptist as an example of someone that they agree with uh, because he was pointing people to Jesus. Uh, they agreed with him in his fasting and praying, but it was only because it served their purposes. It was only because it was exactly what they wanted him to be doing. And so, so they agreed with John the Baptist, but it was because he was doing what they wanted him to do. They didn't care so much about him pointing pe people to Jesus necessarily. Um, and religious people of the day, the religious Jews, I should say, the, the Pharisees, would fast every Monday and Thursday, as well as pray every day at noon, 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., uh, literally daily. And these practices were considered to be the, the requirement uh, for a person to be truly zealous, truly religious and, and, and reverent, whatever, whatever it may be. These are the things that 
were required of them. So fasting on Mondays and Thursdays and then praying every day at those three times. That was what they considered to be the bar. And that's what they're asking Jesus about right here is why do you not fast on Mondays and Thursdays? What it ended up breeding was more legalism and more opportunity to judge others for not doing things the way that the Pharisees did. Well, I, I, I fast on Mondays and Thursdays, whereas you only fast on Thursdays or whatever it may be. And it got into the contest of trying to one-up one another. Um, and so, so that happens often. If you turn into, forward into Luke 19, we see this happen um, in, in a, or sorry, Luke 18. I apologize. Luke 18, uh, verse 9 it says, also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and, and uh, despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This idea of pride when it comes into our religious activities, um, I am better, or I am more disciplined, or I am more reverent, whatever it may be, it was, it was bleeding into the Pharisee's life just as it can bleed into our life. Uh, when our pride enters into our faith, it tends to increase our judgment on others and their faith. Their faith doesn't look like our faith, and so therefore their faith needs to change. And, and it's not a bad thing to fast and pray. Don't, don't hear that from me right now. In fact, in Matthew 6, verses 17 and 18, Jesus even talks about fasting and alludes to it being almost a command or, or an expectation that we will fast and pray. And so it's not a bad thing, but the Pharisees were doing it as a legalistic practice instead of one that grew their relationship to God. They were using it as a check mark on the list of to-dos for the week. You know, I, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray, and therefore I am holy um, because I did this thing. And so it's important that we understand that when we humbly come before the Lord, He may give us things that we desire to do, reading, fasting, praying, all of these things. But those things do not make us more holy. They increase our relationship to God. And so how Jesus answers their question here in Luke chapter 5 is another indication of His deity and also His love for His disciples. So read verses 34 and 35 with me really quickly of chapter 5. He says, can, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And this is an allusion to his, certainly a, a prophecy to his uh, crucifixion that was going to be taking place. But it's also the idea of asking this question of can... Can the, the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is still with them? And, and he asks the question and answers it. And it's intended to help people see that, that he is the, the closest thing to a, that a living person would ever see to God. 
He's the closest thing to God that, that any living person would ever see at the time. Um, Jesus is God, and so his disciples had a relationship with God without the need to fast. They didn't need to fast because God was with them in person, in physicality. He was there, and so the desire to fast and deny oneself wasn't needed because there was a celebration almost happening. Also, it's, it's the idea on top of that, that there's rejoicing happening because Jesus was with them. The Messiah, the one who would save the world, had come. They were present and alive for the most important event um, in history, in, in all of history, not just their history, but even our history. This was the most important thing that ever happened, and they did not need to fast and pray for his coming, for his expected coming. He was there with them, and he had come. He was here. And, and it's interesting to ask ourselves the question of, do we celebrate having Jesus in our lives? Do we celebrate the fact that he lives within us? Do people see the joy that, that he brings us? Or like the Pharisees, do we walk around looking like our faith has only given us more chores to do? You see, it was very common for the, the Pharisees to actually um, <laughs> look very gaunt when they were fasting. And, and you knew that they would be fasting because they, they let you know that they were fasting um, in various ways that they would dress as well as in ways that they would act around people. Um, and they were very pious in that because they wanted people to respect the idea that they were fasting. And sometimes I think that we can even fall into that trap as well, where it's like, no, I can't go hang out. I have to do this. I have to go read my Bible or whatever. Or I have to, I have to go spend some time in prayer. I have to go to church. Or I have to even go to work or whatever it may be. And we can often forget that these, <laughs> these are opportunities. You see, we, we get to go read our Bible. We get to go spend time in prayer. We get to go to worship. We get to fellowship with other believers. It's an opportunity for us to grow closer to God. And we should be rejoicing in that opportunity, not downtrodden that we must do something else or another chore that we have to do. And definitely not, well, look at me, I'm super holy because I'm reading my Bible. Um, we don't want to act like that. We want people to see that we are joyful in what Jesus has done for us. It's important that we do not look at our faith as a task to be accomplished. It's an opportunity to be in a relationship with God and to experience the peace and joy that can only come from that relationship. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, if you will. Chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 6 and 7 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We have the opportunity to gain peace through our relationship with him. Peace in our lives, peace in the struggles, peace in the trials, peace in the good times. <laughs> We have that opportunity when we spend that time with the Lord. And so we, we gain peace through that healthier relationship with God. Prayer, worship, the Word, these are paramount in our walk with Jesus because they encourage us towards the Lord and towards something new. And, and that's exactly what Jesus goes into right after this is he's talking about the idea of fasting and praying and that his disciples don't need to fast because he has already come. 
that they would eventually need to fast because he will be going away. But then he goes immediately into these, these parables about um, new garments, old garments, wineskins, all these things. And, and admittedly, sometimes even <laughs> in the past, I have read these verses as almost like a separate conversation because it seems so unrelated to what Jesus is talking about with fasting and praying to be talking about new garments, old garments, new wine, old wine, uh, old wine skins, all these kinds of things. And so on their surface, verses 36 through 39 can seem like he's just having a different conversation or that, that he's kind of going off into um, Jesus land where he's <laughs> just thinking of different ways to kind of confuse the Pharisees. But the garments and the wine skins are actually connected to talking about the fasting and the praying and why those things are going to change. And so that's important to notice. And so we want to take these things kind of uh, one by one a little bit. And so we're going to look at the old garment. So that's found in verse 36. So read verse 36 with me. It says, Then he spoke a, a parable to them. No one puts a piece of new garment onto an old one. Otherwise, the new makes makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Just really quickly as a side note, this is cool because a lot of this is practical advice. It's, it's very sensible. If you think about going out and buying a brand new shirt because your old one has a hole in it, and immediately taking that brand new shirt home and cutting out a patch of it and trying to sew it onto the new shirt, well, just practically speaking, that doesn't make much sense because now you've ruined the new one and the old one isn't going to actually be fixed and, and it's not going to match anymore. So, so there is just some practical um, truth to what Jesus says here, but he's also saying it for that deeper spiritual um, meaning. In this first parable, he explains that, that no one would use a new garment to patch an old one. And the old garment here represents the legal system. Um, some people would call it the legal dispensation, but it represents that legal system while the new garment represents an era of grace, the era of grace that Jesus was ushering in, the new covenant, if you will, that Jesus was bringing. What Jesus says is that these two things are incompatible. So an attempt to mix the law and grace results in a spoiling of both. So we cannot mix the law and grace, and that's what Jesus is saying, is the old, the old way of doing things, the old garment, it had its purpose, it served its purpose, but we would not take the grace of the new covenant and try and force it onto the old garment. The old garment is, is going away, essentially, is what he's saying. He's saying that he wasn't here to patch up the old religious system. He wasn't here to try and fix the old ways of doing things. He was here to do something entirely new. And, and <coughs> excuse me, it, it's interesting that we all have some sort of religion before Jesus Christ comes into our lives um, that we follow, whether it's, you know, atheism is a religion or, or a different sect of, of some belief system. We, we all have that belief system in some we have some way that we live morally or emotionally that makes us feel good or bad about ourselves and how we are living. And Jesus always makes us new and he gives us new purpose and meaning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become 
new. And Jesus never wants to fix the old things in our life. Yes, some of those things are valuable and some of those things definitely carry into our new life with him. But he's, he isn't, his purpose isn't to just fix the old parts of our life that are going badly. He wants to create into a, out of us a new creation. He wants to do away with the old so that we can change and be made new. He, he's not interested in our continuing on in our comfort. He wants to make us into something entirely new. He wants to grow us and stretch us and, and challenge us in some ways to, to become better and more, more reliant on him. And, and here's the thing is the Jews wanted to tack on the law into what Jesus was doing, fasting and praying. In fact, long after Jesus was gone, even to this day, we see people trying to impose or infuse the old law into Christianity, trying to say that, you know, you're not a Christian if you're not obeying the Ten Commandments uh, perfectly, or even just the law in general. And so what they were wanting to do was to do it for their own justification, for their own personal reasoning. They wanted to infuse the law so that, so that they would feel better about themselves, so that they would be able to have their own righteousness. But God's righteousness and man's righteousness will never and can never mix. Because all we can do is try and be good and do good things. But that falls far short of being holy in the eyes of God and, and righteous and clean. And so, so that old garment and the new one just do not, it's impossible for those to actually mix. And then Jesus goes into the new wine and the old wine in verses 37 and 38. Let's read those. It says this, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst, in, in, burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This second parable here describes the, the error of putting new wine into old wineskins. The fermenting process of the new wine would cause, it, it causes pressure, um, gas, gaseous pressure on the skins that are no longer elastic or, or pliable enough to expand and contract with the gases. So these old wineskins are hard and rigid and the new wine is in there trying to expand more and, and do different shapes <laughs> for that wineskin. And the old, the old wineskins will just burst and break. Again, speaking to the Jews, Jesus is showing them that they could not put their old system into the new work that was being done by Jesus. This is the spiritual aspect, whereas the practical is the broken wineskins. When you try to force the new creation into an old system, speaking of legalism or whatever else, it bursts eventually. It's impossible for it to stay within that container. We see that often in new believers that are put into, say, battle or immediately experience hard times. And even, I say new believers, but really even seasoned believers can go through really hard times when they are put into these trials and these temptations. And, and the temptation is to go back to the old comfort. Go back to the old way of doing things. Go back to the old life that I used to have or even 10 steps behind where I was, whatever it may be. Um, they, they have that temptation because uh, 
because that's comfortable. It's what I'm familiar with. Um, and, and so they eventually, what happens as they go through these trials, if they continue to try and conform to the old religion, to the old law, then eventually it bursts. And they just turn away from Jesus and go back to their old friends, their old habits, their old life. And they, they go back to their old system, whatever their, their previous religion was. And they sacrifice relationship with Jesus for comfort and familiarity. And so that's very important that we are aware of what's going on in that time because we are so tempted towards comfort in this day and age. We are so tempted to do what is easy. Um, not, not even going to get into all the details, but just on some basic things. Reading our Bible. Well, I'm not much of a reader. That's because we've been trained to not be readers. We've been trained to not look to Jesus for these things. And so we go to the comfort of our lifestyle, whatever it may be, and we press into that and we, we like it because it's comfortable. Um, and there's a million other things that we could talk about that we go back to the comfort of turning on our television or sitting on our couch or <laughs> eating the same food or whatever it may be. And, and all of them have an impact on our physical, emotional, spiritual life. And, and we need to understand that that's what's happening in a very pointed way. And so when we look at that, we, we must be sure that we're not pouring the new wine into an old wineskin, trying to make that new, that new covenant that Jesus has given us, that grace that Jesus has given us, and put it into the rigidity of the law. And so verse 39, he wraps this up with even an, another kind of mini parable. It says, And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. And this is, again, what I was just saying. We... When we taste something new, it's hard sometimes to get to acquire that taste. And so oftentimes we'll go back to the old because the old is comfortable, the old is familiar, the old is what we desire. And, and so we have to be sure that we are not just falling back into the, the rut that we used to be into because that's comfortable. We must train ourselves through discipleship and relationship with Jesus Christ to enjoy the taste of the new wine that he gives us. But I put emphasis on that word, train ourselves, because it is work. It is discipline that we must put ourselves through so that we can continue running this race. It's so important that we don't miss out on what God is trying to do because we are trying to fit our old life into the new creation that he's given us. So to wrap things up, we have to ask ourselves, how do we avoid falling into a stale, rigid faith? How do we stop from growing comfortable and desiring that comfort above anything else? unwilling to hear, unwilling to listen, unwilling to move, unwilling to be pliable because it's a little uncomfortable. And believe it or not, I, I do believe that the answer is found in the Greek translation of the word new here in this passage. In reference to the word new wine uh, that, that Jesus uses here, the, the Greek word is neos, which means new. Very basic, very easy. 
But the word translated new in relation to the wineskins in this passage is kainos, and it literally means renewed. And the idea behind that is wineskins back then were relatively expensive. Um, they weren't crazy expensive, but they were relatively expensive. And you wouldn't want to just throw out an old wineskin just willy-nilly. You wanted to use every bit of it that you could. And one of the ways that they would do that is they would renew the elasticity of the wineskin by soaking it in water for a time. And then that would give you a little bit of bend, a little bit of, you know, pliability in that wineskin. And it would be renewed. It would be kinos. And so, so the scriptures are likened to water in multiple places, including John 15.3 and Ephesians 5.26, where we see the water of the word. And so we can be renewed by the washing of the word. We, can, we look to the Bible to keep us growing and to keep us expanding and to keep us from becoming rigid and, and shrinking in our faith. We, we look to scripture to grow our relationship with the Lord and continue working in us as, as the Bible talks about the, the word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting through flesh and, and marrow, even down to the marrow. And, and so we, we use the scriptures to continue making us pliable, to continue growing us and keeping us flexible to what God is doing in our lives so that we do not burst under our own legalism, so that we do not fail according to our own standard of righteousness because we often can set the bar there's two temptations we set the bar too high for ourselves which is already done because perfection is expected and we set the bar too low for ourselves and we still fail (laughs) and the whole point is so that we look to jesus understanding that he is the only one that can impart righteousness unto us he is the only one that can give us righteousness. And that righteousness that he, that he gives to us is the only righteousness that we are able to stand before God the Father and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. We must grow closer to Christ through the reading of his word, through prayer, through fellowship, through communion with him. We need more time with him to continue our growth towards him. And so I would encourage you to make time to spend with the Lord. Even right now, in this moment, make time to spend with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that it makes us new. We thank you that your word washes us and cleans us. And and that we are able to experience you in a deeper, meaningful way. Father, I pray that whatever trials and temptations people are struggling with right now, that you would be able to guide them through it and that they would be encouraged that your word has all of the righteousness inside of it that we could ever hope for and that we can look to you and that we can look to your word to guide us in this life. We thank you and praise you in your name. Amen.